Now this is the, uh, what you might call, ultimate nerve. And, for example, when the samurai in Japan studied Zen, that's what they wanted to get from it. They wanted to get ultimate nerve so that absolutely nothing would faze them. So there is a poem which says, under the sword lifted high, there is hell making you tremble. But go ahead, and there is the land of bliss. Don't hesitate, see, don't, don't be blocked, don't be um, phased, nonplussed by the illusion. Now you would say, well, that's all very well, but I can't bring myself I start to shake and I can't stop it. It's not to do with my will. And no amount of gritting my teeth, clenching my muscles, uh, exercising my willpower can get rid of the shakes when I am really scared. That's true. But you must remember that the secret to all this is not to be afraid of fear. When you can really allow yourself to be afraid and you don't resist the experience of fear, you are truly beginning to master fear. But when you refuse to be afraid, you are resisting fear. And that simply sets up a vicious circle of being afraid of fear and being afraid of being afraid of fear and so on. And that's what we call worry. Worry is simply a chronic condition and people who worry are going to worry no matter what happens. Because when one possible threat is exterminated, they will immediately discover another. Because worry is an infinitely skinned onion. And you can go on and on and on because the moment you see, you reduce the size of the onion and you get your worry down to about this, suddenly your whole sense of distance and size changes. And because you are looking so intently at this little onion, it fills your whole field of vision and is once again a big onion. See? You start peeling that down. But as you get another little one about this size, then it enlarges itself in your judgment and your sense of values. And once more, it's colossal. Now that's always going on. So if you are disposed to worry, there is always plenty to worry about. You make plenty of money and you have no troubles about that, then you start wondering if you're going to get a disease and the doctor says no it's all right you, you, nothing wrong with you then you wonder if you're going to get into an accident and then you take precautions and then you wonder if there's going to be a political revolution um, etc whether your house is going to be robbed uh, there's always something so it is a, really this kind of worrying is a completely useless pursuit and yet we feel a little guilty if we don't do it. Because uh, it's somehow put into us that a proper amount of worrying is uh, showing a good sense of responsibility. You're concerned. And Paul Tillich uh, used this word concern in a special way. And Quakers always use the word concern. And all people, you might say, who are socially conscious are concerned. So when we say, I'm concerned, it means I have a frown on my face. And uh, I, I'm, I'm worried about you, about the nation, about the war, so on, concerned. And Tillich said, 
religion is ultimate concern. I am concerned about the universe. And he used this wonderful decontaminated word for, for God, which he got from Eckhart, the ground of being. See, God still has whiskers on it, but the ground of being doesn't, obviously. And so, uh, ultimate concern is to be concerned about the ground of being. Well, now, I don't think you... you well, I'm not sure about Tuis. I, I knew him, and he was a very wonderful man. But what I call concern, in the, the way I would want to interpret it, instead of this sort of frown, is something more like amazement. In other words, that existence is extremely peculiar. Um, I mean, it's... I can't get my... I can't explain this feeling because I don't know quite how to ask a question about existence so that I could be said to be wondering about it in some sort of clear-thinking way. What, what, uh, it's a very nice thing to consider to yourself that if you were going to have an interview with the Lord God and you would have only five minutes and you might ask one question, what would you ask? And you've got plenty of time to think this over in advance. <laughs> and you realize question after question, say, no, that's not really the thing I want to get at. Uh-uh, it's not that. Like, do you exist? God would say, well, of course, yes, here I am. <laughs> am I having a hallucination? <laughs> no. Well, uh, I'm, how can I be sure that this isn't a hallucination, you see? And then you reject all that sort of question. And when you finally come down to it, you don't know what to ask. There is a sort of question in your mind, not so much a question as a questioning. A feeling of, it's all unbelievable. It's amazing. I wonder at it. I marvel at it. It is a miracle that there is anything. But um, it's like a friend of mine who went to a Zen master, got an interview after a good deal of trouble, an interpreter. And he sat down and said, you know, now I'm here, I don't know what to ask. I just feel like laughing. And Zen Master said, well, let's laugh. <laughs> and they just broke up. So <laughs> but that feeling, you see, of the, the marvelousness of being is what I call, or would want to mean by Tuick's phrase, ultimate concern. It's also love is involved in it. See, that's the part of the problem of um, an abstractionist culture such as ours. As I indicated, we are not materialists, we are abstractionists. Uh, a materialist is a, is a lover, and therefore is somebody related to the present. Because, you see, you, you can't love except in the present when you have under your hands a piece of wood and uh, you say, my, hasn't that a gorgeous grain, you know, and you fondle it. If it moves, fondle it. <laughs> and uh, you, you, you run over this and think, hey, isn't that gorgeous, you see. 
Well, you're, so you're loving it. Uh, it may be that it's an apple in your hand, and you say, I love you so much I could eat you. And you eat it, and you relish it. That's loving in a special way. So uh, concern and love, and there are many forms of love. There's a whole spectrum of different kinds of love, which runs from the red of libido to the violet of divine charity. But all of them are equally important because, as you know, you can't have a violet end without the red end, and vice versa. You wouldn't know what violet was unless you had all the other colors. The colors create each other. So it isn't simply black and white. Between black and white is the spectrum. And just as black and white arise mutually, so you know red in relation to yellow, in relation to green, in relation to blue, and so on. But they all come out of black and white. That's the secret. I think Mr. Land, who invented a camera, made a rather spectacular demonstration of this. So, if then you try to obliterate fear, the fear that black may win, you're working in the wrong way. To attack a fear is to strengthen it. Because immediately you feel guilty if you don't succeed. Or you feel inadequate. But fear is something that arises naturally and spontaneously under certain circumstances, just as you will feel warm if you get near a fire. And uh, you can't go up to a fire without some sort of self-hypnosis and then say, well, I refuse to be warm. There's something a bit weird about that. Besides, you often want to feel warm when you get near a fire. No, on the contrary, it is very natural to be afraid. And so if you don't try to knock it down, you don't try to make yourself over into some sort of preconceived idea of what you ought to be, then you're on the track.